0: This is Guns and Butter. There's something yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. What it is, exactly clear. There's a man with a gun
2: over there. I'm
0: Bonnie Faulkner. Today on Guns and Butter, Michelle Chosadowski. Today's show, 9/11: The Broad Picture. From Phase 2 of the International Citizens Inquiry into 9/11, held in Toronto in May 2004. Michel Chosadovsky.
3: Well, I'm delighted to be here at this very critical juncture in our history. The news this morning is very, or yesterday morning, is very disturbing because it suggests and it indicates that the Bush administration, in effect, is preparing for martial law. It's not the critics who are saying that. They themselves are saying it. They have already embarked upon uh, terrorist exercises. That was done, in fact, almost a year ago in May of of last year. And, in fact, Canadian government agencies participated in these uh, so-called terrorist exercises... You also may have heard the statements of Anne McClellan, uh, who is the copy and paste, uh, I shouldn't say quite, because she's not the same sex of Tom Ridge, but she's a copy and paste version of Tom Ridge, and she runs Canada's Homeland Security Department, which is the rank of, and she has the rank of a cabinet minister and deputy prime minister. So you can understand the extent of these cleavages. Bear in mind that uh, Anne McClellan, in her press conference, actually, which was aired live uh, yesterday afternoon, said that they will be consulting uh, with intelligence agencies in the United States, Britain, and Australia, which is the new axis, the new Anglo-American axis. I, I think we have to, and this is also, I think, something which the press should be confronted with, that when these terrorist warnings occur, they have a responsibility to at least question the validity as to whether these terrorist warnings are are genuine or not. And and you you might have heard uh, the statements by Ashcroft, which were aired profusely over CNN in the last uh, 12 hours, that they are specific as well as non-specific indications from incredible multiple intelligence sources that there will be a, 9, a, a 9/11 2 it's a bit like home alone 2 it's a it's a new uh, a concept of having mark II, uh, uh, you know that we've had mark 1 we have a, well going to have a second 9/11 they are saying prepare yourself for a second 9/11 before the November 2 elections, and they said that they say they have credible evidence. I haven't had the time to start doing the research, but I have absolutely clear evidence that they are lying in relation to previous terrorist warnings. And I'd like to share that right at the outset of this presentation. One, when Colin Powell made his flop presentation to the United Nations Security Council back. Uh, in February 6th of of 2003, of last year. In other words, in the month leading up to the war. The following day, on the 7th, there was re- uh, an orange code alert in the United States. And uh, Colin Powell said, Osama bin Laden is going to attack America using a radioactive bomb, okay? Now, if you followed that, and we did very careful research on it, it turned out to be fabricated. Okay? People started getting very nervous. It's a bit like in Monty Python, Fear and Surprise, the Spanish Inquisition. Well, I can tell you, I looked into it, and I'd like to quote the ABC report on that, because the FBI actually accused the CIA of fabricating intelligence. We are not accusing. The FBI said... And I quote, according to U.S. officials, the FBI and the CIA are pointing fingers at each other. An FBI spokesperson told ABC News today he was, quote, not familiar with the scenario but not think it was accurate. While Homeland Security acknowledges that, it, that the intelligence was fabricated and they said, And I quote again from the report, despite the fabricated evidence, there are no plans to change the threat level. Officials said other intelligence has been validated, blah, blah, blah. Okay, that was back in February of last year, fabricated terror alert. Now, a fabricated terror alert, from my point of view, is criminal, okay? Let's call it by its name. People from America lived through the Christmas holidays and there were terror alerts all over the place, right? Remember, the terror alert was on the 21st of December of last year. Okay? Now, that terror alert was fabricated. And it is not the researchers who are saying that, it is the police investigators who actually corroborated that, that Tom Ridge fabricated the terror alert. And I'd like to give you just a, a couple of again, a couple of quotes on that because it's so important to refute these these fabric to, to show and exhibit the fact that these terror alerts are fabricated because essentially fabricating terror alerts is the prelude to implementing red code alert. And when you go to red code alert, Quote, you close down the country. That's what Tom Ridge said back in December. He said if we simply go to red, that basically shuts down the country. And that means we suspend civilian institutions and we go into an emergency mode. People who have done research on that know it. It's very, very clear. But what happened on December 21st? There were reports that there were a number of al-Qaeda operatives which were boarding Air France flights into Los Angeles. People from Southern California know it because the whole place was swarming with roadblocks. And what happened was that these six al-Qaeda men turned out when the French police investigators produced their report on December 23rd Okay, in collaboration with their U.S. counterparts, it turned out, and this may sound funny, but it isn't funny, the six al-Qaeda men turned out to be a five-year-old boy, an elderly Chinese lady who used to run a restaurant in Paris, a Welsh insurance salesman, and three French nationals. Now, that information was available on the 23rd of December, And Tom Ridge sat on it until the end of the Christmas holiday to maintain the terror alert at Code Orange. So, that again, in those two high key terror alerts in recent history, February the 7th and December the 21st, there is evidence from police sources that these terror alerts were fabricated. And I suspect that I don't see much credibility behind the recent terror alerts, Uh, but I also see the scenario. They're asking people now to report people who might look like these six persons. Two of them are Canadians. There are reports about Canadian aircrafts going into U.S. buildings. I think that this information, of course, raises serious issues. But bear in mind that underlying all these threats and underlying the official story of 9-11 is Al-Qaeda. Because ultimately, what is never mentioned in any of the press reports is that Al-Qaeda is a creation of the CIA, okay? That the outside enemy of America is there to attack us, he is an outside enemy, there were forewarnings, et etc., et cetera. In fact, that issue is now being shoved to the background. Al-Qaeda is a, an intelligence asset of the US government, consistently since the Soviet-Afghan war. We know it, we've documented it. Some people say, of course, even the intelligence community are saying, oh, Osama went against us. We helped him during the Soviet-Afghan war to liberate Afghanistan, he went against us. I tell you, no, that is not what happened. Because we have the evidence of Al-Qaeda collaboration with the U.S. government right up until August 2001. And that is ultimately the big lie. And where was Osama on September 11th? Well, I'll tell you where he was. He wasn't in a cave in Afghanistan. He was in a military hospital in Rawalpindi, Pakistan, right in the middle of the headquarters of the Pakistani military in the place swarming with U.S. military advisors, and that information was corroborated by my hero, Dan Rather. Reporting from Rawalpindi, on the 10th of September, Osama bin Laden was admitted to the military hospital right there in, you know, in Pakistan's, Military headquarters in Rawalpindi, anybody who's been there knows exactly what I'm talking about. The military, U.S. military mission is just close by. No way he could have got in there and got in there unnoticed. And then Don Rumsfeld says, we can't find him. It's like looking for a needle in a stack of hay. Well, I can tell you either somebody is lying there, and I tend to trust Dan Rather, whose report was never refuted, but Dan Rather doesn't connect the dots. And Dan Rather doesn't say, well, if he was on the 10th of September in Rawalpindi, he couldn't have gone back to the caves in Afghanistan the following day. Okay, impossible. And he was under the auspices and hospitality of America's main ally in the war on terrorism, namely Pakistan. Now, let me get into some broader issues. First of all, please understand that revealing the lies on forewarnings does not necessarily help us to establish the truth in this in this very complex process. Because the unfolding official story which I think eventually will go into history books, is that the Bush administration is responsible for negligence. They failed to act. There were intelligence lapses. But what is upheld in that process of revealing the lies in the 9-11 Commission ultimately supports the big lie that there is an outside enemy of America. Okay. And read these statements very carefully. The U.S. administration needs a war pretext incident, a justification for waging war. They need an outside enemy. The illusion of an outside enemy is fundamental. It's behind the whole narrative uh, of the United States of successive administrations.
0: You're listening to Professor of Economics Michelle Chosadovsky. 9-11, The Broad Picture. From phase two of the International Citizens Inquiry into 9-11, held in Toronto. This is Guns and Butter.
3: If you look at the national security doctrine, this whole idea of preemptive defense of war is there. It's the war on terrorism. The war on terrorism requires an enemy. Now The fact of the matter is that enemy is fabricated. I will corroborate this very carefully in in a number of documents to show that it is fabricated. Al-Qaeda is fabricated. Al-Qaeda is an instrument. I'm not suggesting that Al-Qaeda is necessarily totally aware. It has certain degrees of independence, but it is being used as the enemy of America. There's no evidence that Al-Qaeda was behind the 9-11 attacks. But the fact is that the whole idea is that the homeland is under attack. We must wage war to defend the homeland. And ultimately, that is the most important thing which has to prevail. And so Richard Clark is saying, yes, we're sorry about all this. We made mistakes. There were intelligence failures. All that is part of the cover-up. Okay? So people who say, Condoleezza Rice, you are lying. Big deal. What does that mean, she's lying? She's lying on forewarnings. Nobody has begged the important question, were these forewarnings emanating from the intelligence apparatus and from George Tenet, are they not themselves part of the process of disinformation, precisely to create the illusion and the impression that there is an outside enemy? Because without this outside enemy, no Al-Qaeda, no war on terrorism... No Al-Qaeda, no rogue states which sponsor Al-Qaeda. No Al-Qaeda, no pretext for waging a war. No justification for going into Iraq and Afghanistan and occupying these countries under the disguise of a war on terrorism. No justification for sending U.S. troops into numerous countries around the world, special forces, to help them in the war on terrorism. No justification, and this is very crucial, for developing tactical nuclear weapons to be used in conventional war theatres against Islamic terrorists. The Nuclear Posture Review, which was approved, which uh, was debated in the Senate in early 2002, proposes the development of a new generation of nuclear weapons. I can't go into details. it's a subject in itself. But I can just tell you that back in November of last year, the Senate has given the green light to use tactical nuclear weapons with an explosive capacity between one third and six times Hiroshima in conventional war theaters. In other words, they can be triggered in any of the war theaters which are now characterizing this war map in the Middle East, and they do not require the approval of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. They can just go ahead. Three or four-star general can do it because they have been recategorized and the assumption is that they're harmless to civilians and they are to be used against Osama bin Laden in the Tora Bora mountains. That is what you find in the National Security Doctrine. Nuclear weapons, we must develop these defensive nuclear weapons, harmless to civilians, and go after Osama in his cave. It is absolutely absurd, and people believe it. So that Al-Qaeda is the pinnacle of the national security doctrine. Without Al-Qaeda, they are lost, and they have to make sure that Al-Qaeda remains the enemy. And that is why all this Bush bashing for me is a red herring. Bush didn't know he made mistakes. All the mistakes in the world upholds the big lie, which is that Al-Qaeda is not an outside enemy, but a creature of the United States intelligence apparatus. And that is something which is not even open for discussion. It is a fact. (laughs) The war propaganda is based on this whole idea. The project of the new American century as well as the whole, which is the blueprint for global war and conquest, I can't go into details, but it essentially says defend the homeland, fight and decisively win in multiple theater wars. Again, Osama bin Laden, and the rogue states are there, and so on and so forth. It makes reference to a catastrophic and catalyzing event, which will then galvanize the citizenry in support of a war agenda. Bear in mind that these massive casualty-producing events to which General Tommy Franks, who is the former general involved in Central Command and uh, in the campaign against Iraq, he says very clearly and he replicates the story that we see in the newspapers this morning, a terrorist massive casualty producing event will occur somewhere in the Western world, maybe in the United States, which will galvanize the citizenry into supporting the militarization of our society and ultimately accept military rule as a means protecting democracy. It's such an absurd statement. This is not his statement. It is part of military doctrine because he is, he's not speaking in his own capacity. He's speaking as a general and it's part of military planning. This whole thing is part of military planning. So there we are. Now, incidentally, the text of my presentation is on the, on the web. You can find it at globalresearch.ca. And I want to now tackle the more important question of the links between al-Qaeda and successive U.S. administrations which are corroborated by a number of sources. Let me first uh, give a few uh, uh, historical background very briefly. Al-Qaeda was created in 1979. It was a project of the Carter administration, it was national security adviser Zbigniew Brzezinski that actually set loose the Islamic brigades in Afghanistan as a means to triggering the invasion of the Soviet Union. This is corroborated by statements by Brzezinski that he made recently to the French magazine Le Nouvel Observateur. The Islamic brigades, Al-Qaeda, was supported by successive administrations Reagan administration supported it through uh, massive financing of the Al-Qaeda network, the training camps, the madrasas were set up. And in effect, what you had was a massive operation which created these Islamic brigades and the whole network. Now, ultimately, what they are saying is, if you read the intelligence reports, they'll say, yes, we did that. Yeah. But that was during the Cold War, that's a bygone era. And in the post Cold War era, he went, Osama went against us. Okay? We had the 1973 World Trade Center bombing. He went against us. He started attacking America. That was called the blowback. But, ladies and gentlemen, if he went against us, How come that in 1993-94, which was in the post-Cold War era, based on a 97 report, again, I love these reports because they are coming from the conspiracy theorists of last resort, the Republican Party of the United States, okay? I love them because I love quoting them. And uh, this report is an official congressional document. What does it say? What does it say? It accuses Clinton of collaborating with Azama. But it's even far more precise. It says it accuses Clinton of collaborating with Sheikh Omar Abdel Rahman, the 1993 mastermind of the World Trade Center bombing. you understand what I'm trying to get at? If indeed, if indeed this is an outside enemy, how come... The Clinton administration, based on Republican sources, was collaborating, working hand in glove with Al-Qaeda during the civil war in Yugoslavia. Was Clinton, when he appeared in front of the 9-11 Commission, did they ask him, hey, Bill, what were you doing with Sheikh Abdel Rahman there back in 93, bringing in the military inspectors and the Mujahideen and so on? They never used this against him. They preferred to use Monica Lewinsky. At the time of this report, the Monica Lewinsky was initiated at its height. The foreign policy lies, which are shared by the Bush administration, the Clinton administration, the Bush senior, the Reagan, the Carter administration, all administrations have supported Al-Qaeda systematically. And when they tell us that Al-Qaeda is threatening America, they are lying, because they created Al-Qaeda. And therefore, that information, in effect, from my point of view, is phony, okay? Because if the enemy is not an outside enemy, then we're not dealing with an issue of terrorist warnings, we're dealing with an issue of treason. That is what we're dealing with. Now, you might say, well, that was back in 93. You know, Clinton didn't know what he was doing, Madeleine Albright, and so on. Now, let's get a little bit more recent, because then they say, well, that was 93. I'm only giving you the tip of the iceberg, because there's a lot of documents on this. The war in Yugoslavia. We know that in 1999, NATO bombed Yugoslavia. Who was their key ally on the ground? The Kosovo Liberation Army. The Kosovo Liberation Army has been identified as an organization with links to organized crime, the drug trade, but it was supported by the CIA, but the KLA was also being supported by Al-Qaeda. Guess it, yes. So what is that called? Al-Qaeda is supporting the KLA, Madeline Albright is supporting the KLA. Actually, Madeleine Albright was coveting the leader of the KLA, Hash- Hashim Tashi. Now, if you read these statements very carefully, which are again from congressional sources, they raise very serious doubts on this whole idea of an outside enemy. You can't be collaborating with outside enemy and then accuse the outside enemy of you know, when you collaborate with an outside enemy, that is treason. That's the way the encyclopedia defines treason, when you collaborate with the enemy. Okay, you're in bed with the enemy. But in this case, it's, a bit, it's, it's not really an enemy. It's, it's an intelligence instrument or asset, as they call it. And read it carefully. Frank Chalufo of the Globalized Organized Crime Program, in testimony to the House of Representatives Judicial Committee, what was largely hidden from public view was the fact that the KLA raised part of their funds from the sale of narcotics, etc., etc., of the Golden Crescent of Afghanistan and Pakistan. Again, Ralph Muchke of Interpol's Criminal Intelligence Division, all in a testimony to the House Judicial Commission. The U.S. State Department lists the KLA as a terrorist organization, but we support them. We support them and the United Nations supports them, and NATO supports them, and then we acknowledge, but Osama bin Laden also supports them. What do you call that in, in normal business parlance? You call that partnership joint venture when two organizations, the US government, or US military, or NATO on the one hand, support the KLA, and the KLA supported by Osama bin Laden, you have U.S. military advisors right together in the same paramilitary organization. That is called complicity partnership. Call it what you want, but Al-Qaeda is not the outside enemy. Bear in mind, this happened in 99, okay? The Cold War had been over for about 10 years. Cold War finished in 89 with the fall of the Berlin Wall. So 10 years later, Osama bin Laden and the U.S. administration, in this case still the Clinton administration, you can see how the Democrats and Republicans are are in on this together. They are there in the Balkans using the Mujahideen, using the Islamic brigades to disrupt and destroy Yugoslavia and destabilize it and break it up. That is certainly something which is well understood and corroborated. The third... uh, excerpt that I have, uh, the third excerpt, incidentally, is probably the most important, and I don't have it with me, unfortunately. Oh, here it is. <laughs> See, when something goes wrong, you always say it's a conspiracy theory. <laughs> during, the war, during the war in Macedonia, which brings us to 2000-2001, the KLA had created a proxy military which is called the NLA which was fighting the Macedonian security forces on the Kosovo border now it just so happens that the NLA which is a proxy of the KLA which we've just discussed which in effect was supported by the United Nations mission in Kosovo well this NLA and NATO and within the NLA you have senior military advisors from MPRI Military Professional Resources Incorporated, which is a private mercenary company on on contract to the Pentagon. Well, in effect, what happened was that within this paramilitary formation, you had US military advisors, Mujahideen detached by Al-Qaeda, and you had the heads of the KLA, which were on UN payrolls, all working together. And this is corroborated by press statements, reports, statements of the Macedonian prime minister right up until August 2001. And this, of course, is a very damning evidence because you can't be on the one hand saying that a few weeks later that Osama bin Laden is the threat to America when the evidence points unequivocally throughout the 90s in the Balkans and elsewhere that the United States has had very Close links to Al Qaeda, and it's confirmed by official statements of the US Congress.
0: You're listening to Professor of Economics Michel Chosadowski. 9-11, the broad picture. From phase two of the International Citizens Inquiry into 9-11, held in Toronto. This is Guns and Butter.
3: I turn to the to the timeline. That we have here, the progressive left in the United States supported the war against Afghanistan. Let's put that on record. Okay. Now I'd like to start with this short-term timeline: July, September, two thousand and one. Osama bin Laden was in an American hospital in Dubai. That's been fairly well discussed and documented. But again, everybody knew he was there. They could have arrested him and. And the, the hospital, that was documented by a report in, the, in Figaro. I won't go into it. The August 6th brief, oh, you know, the August 6th brief, I looked at it by George Tenet. It's a piece of disinformation, right? The terrorist warnings are disinformation. And now that this, what they're trying to do is to tell you, wow, President Bush was briefed. But who briefed President Bush? CIA George Tenet, who is behind Al-Qaeda, CIA George Tenet. Obviously, these terrorist warnings are fake, okay? I'm not saying that the, that the terror attacks are fake. I'm saying the warnings are fake because they emanate from an intelligence apparatus, which is evidently uh, in relation and complicit with the terror network, as documented by the whole history of Al-Qaeda from 79 to the present, So you can't, on the one hand, say, aha, they're going to attack us, but we were collaborating just two weeks ago with them in Macedonia. That sheds a lot of credibility on these so-called terrorist warnings. And that's why I say, for people, again, in the 9-11 movement who think the terrorist warnings are somehow an indictment of the Bush administration, I think that's a red herring. They indict the Bush administration, but they support the big lie. And let's be very careful. Supporting the big lie is more important than Condoleezza Rice as a fall girl, okay? Uh, all these people are, uh, will be, ultimately can be sacrificed, whether they lied or not is irrelevant. The big lie is sustained. The terror alerts are genuine. The outside enemy exists. And that's the big lie. So uh, let's get to August 27th. Carol Bruyere mentioned Bob Graham and Porter Goss, my, my heroes as well, because these are the guys who actually ran the, the Joint Commission inquiry, okay? They came up with an 800-page report, and I did, a, I did a search and replaced in it, I couldn't find the word of Pakistan mentioned once in the whole report, and then they said it's the Saudis who did it, okay? That's another kind of of uh, interpretation which is unfolding. It's unfolding in the context of the $1 trillion lawsuit. It's unfolding in various places. The Saudis did it. Why? Because we want to get hold of Saudi oil. We want to confiscate Saudi assets. And if the Saudis were involved in the conspiracy, or if they supported Bin Laden, they always did it because they were proxies of of U.S. intelligence. And they had links with their financial cronies in the United States, the Carlyle Group, and so on. They never acted on their own volition. They set up the madrasas, they funded the madrasas, and so on, but they did it in the context of very close relationship with the United States. 27 to 30th of August, Porter Goss and Bob Graham are in Pakistan for consultations with General Mahmoud Ahmad, who is later identified by the FBI as the money man behind the 9-11 attacks. I quote the ABC report of late September. It talks about the money man, the mastermind, and it, it has to do with this transfer of $100,000 to, to the ringleader. But again, it's a little bit part of the legend now. It's, it's a way of saying, yes, they did it, they got money. But in effect, The more damning relationship is the the fact that if the money man behind 9-11, General Mahmoud Ahmad, uh, indeed transferred money to the terrorists, how come Bob Graham and Porter Goss, the two guys who ran the investigation, were meeting with this guy in Pakistan in late August, okay? And how come the general jumped on the plane barely after the completion of that mission and flew to Washington on an official visit, okay? The money man behind 9-11 is on visit. Uh, I I mean, again, the FBI is supporting the fact that Pakistan's ISI was involved, uh, that that this general was actually providing support to the hijacking operation, what the hijacking operation had to do in the you know in the overall process—that is something again which is far more complex—but in any event, we know that he was transferring money. But then, how come the same individual, who was transferring money to the terrorists, was meeting Colin Powell, Richard Armitage, George Tenet? Okay, at least Senator Joseph Biden, chairman of the Council on—I'm uh, sorry, of the Senate uh, Foreign Relations Committee. And, as, as Carol uh, uh, mentioned, how come he was having breakfast hosted by Porter Goss and Bob Graham in what was described as a follow-up meeting to the meeting they held in Pakistan in late August. Okay? And I revealed this thing of the breakfast meeting uh, a couple of years ago, and uh, it, it, it's very interesting there because when this happened, the U.S. media said, Porter Goss and Bob Graham were having breakfast on the morning of 9-11 with a Pakistani general who is known to be very close to the Taliban and Al-Qaeda. Okay? They say that. It's in the Washington Post. Now, they don't beg the important question, and, and they say that after the publication of, of the FBI report and of the Times of India report, and various other reports. They don't say what on earth was Porter Goss, Bob Graham, Senator Kyle, and others doing with an individual who is identified by the FBI as the money man behind the terrorists and who is is close to Bin Laden and Al-Qaeda and the Taliban. They don't ask that question. Okay? Why? Because it raises, obviously raises the issue of complicity at the highest levels of the Bush administration. They don't ask the question, how come Colin Powell was meeting with the general on the 13th of September, corroborated by press reports, to discuss the terms of Pakistan's cooperation, cooperation in the war on terrorism, which incidentally had been decided right on day one, on, on September 11 in the evening, they said... They actually decided they were going to invade Afghanistan that same day. But again, the decision had been made way back. We know that. But again, what was Colin Powell doing with this money man? What was Richard Armitage doing with this money man? And so on and so forth. Well, the answer is very simple. Colin Powell, Richard Armitage are the architects of al-Qaeda. And that is very well documented because it goes back to the Ron Contra scandal when uh, Richard Armitage was, in fact, behind Oliver North, and Richard Armitage was instrumental in channeling the support to the Mujahideen, um, we, we, uh, we never mentioned Colin Powell. Colin Powell was part of that scandal because he ultimately gave the green light to uh, the transfer of weapons, if you recall the Iran-Contra scandal, it was the United States selling weapons to Iran, and with the proceeds of those weapons, they would finance the Nicaraguan Contra, but also the Mujahideen in Afghanistan, okay? In other words, Al-Qaeda. So that, uh, who signed the release forms from logistics and authorized the transfer? It was Colin Powell. And uh, all this was instrumented through transfers. Another notorious individual, Adnan Khashoggi, who is an arms dealer, played an important role in that uh, transfer of weapons to Iran, and the proceeds were used to finance the terrorists. So, the, essentially, when they invite Mahmoud Ahmad into the State Department and say, Mahmoud, could you help us going after Zama, okay? because that's what they said, it's a little bit like asking Al Capone in and say, hey, Al. Do you want to help us going after organized crime? Uh, (laughs) That is, Pakistan's inter-services intelligence has been a very important link in this whole process of supporting terrorist organizations in the Middle East, in Southeast Asia, and so on. And we have to be very wary that while Pakistan's inter-services intelligence uh, supports the terrorists, Pakistan's inter-services intelligence owes its existence to the CIA. It's a a counterpart institution, and therefore there's no way in which uh, this kind of thing is is based on failures in intelligence. All this, of course, is there as a smokescreen to distort our understanding of what has ultimately happened. Just a final word, how to reverse the tide. I think that we have to understand... First of all, that we are at the juncture of the most serious crisis in modern history. We have to understand that 9-11 and the deaths of 9-11 are being used to wage a war without borders, which threatens the future of humanity. It uh, involves the use of nuclear weapons in conventional war theaters, a whole arsenal of new weaponry. The cost of this war uh, also threatening uh, all areas of civilian production and, and uh, social services, and this war on terrorism is a big lie. It's the biggest lie in U.S. history. The United States wants to impose, wants to establish, whether it's under the disguise of democracy with a new president or whether it's through emergency rule or military or martial law, What they want is to militarize civilian institutions because it's very clear republic is not consistent with an empire. This war agenda requires precisely, uh, you know, the the repeal of constitutional government at home. And uh, as long as this outside enemy remains the threat, people will be misled into, will be galvanized, so to speak, in supporting this war agenda and supporting uh, you know, saying, yes, we must protect ourselves against this, this guy so that ultimately we have to dismantle the propaganda apparatus behind it, okay? I mean, we have to close down CNN. We have to address these fabricated realities of the Bush administration. We have to break the consensus behind this. Al-Qaeda is a fabrication of successive U.S. governments, Because once that simple fact trickles down to public opinion, the Bush administration's war on terrorism doctrine tumbles like a deck of cards. It has not a leg to stand on. That is the basis of a consistent anti-war agenda. It is not anti-war sentiment saying, hey, Bush, we're against it. Please, it is not dialogue. It is ultimately to dismantle the legitimacy behind this agenda and to point to the criminality both of the war itself as well as of the domestic war on terrorism, including the terror alerts, including the triggering of terror events. And we're not talking about things which are up in the air since we know that this is an assumption and Richard Sanders analysis corroborates that war pretext incidents do use massive casualty-producing events precisely to gain the support of citizens and to galvanize them into supporting a police state. And that is what we have to do. We have to reach out to our fellow citizens, and in an uncompromising way, the only way to reverse the tide of war is ultimately to unseat the rulers who are war criminals. And the way to unseat the rulers is to break their legitimacy in the eyes of the people. Thank you very much.
0: You're listening to Professor of Economics, Michelle Chosadowski. 9-11, the broad picture. From phase two of the International Citizens' Inquiry into 9-11, held in Toronto. This is
1: Guns and butter. Michelle, like myself, I think feels his role is primarily to get the facts together and, and see, uh, see what the situation is and, and to make that clear, and, and uh, I respect that. I think he has studied so much of what's going on that he must have insights beyond that. And what I'm hoping to do is to... Tempt him to speculate just a little bit. Uh, in view of the warnings, I haven't met anybody around here who doesn't expect there to be another attack uh, in the next weeks or months. Um, and the question is, what? If so, uh, what what will follow, and and what ought we to do about it?
3: Yeah, I- I don't like uh, speculating on things which I can't prove, so uh, I think that the question should be addressed, certainly, because there are various scenarios, and and perhaps there are three three possible scenarios, um, or maybe four. Uh, The first is that there's a terror alert uh, based on an actual terrorist uh, event and we go to Red Code Alert, and Red Code Alert suspends civilian government, okay? And that's fairly well understood because the Federal Emergency Management Agency has certain procedures, and we know about that. Now, I, I would say that uh, that scenario has already been prepared because last year they were doing, conducting exercises, a little bit like you conduct military exercises in preparation for war, and, and Canadian... I mean, I've mentioned it somewhere in a recent article, but I can give you the reference. But it it was, uh, these were very serious exercises of municipal government, state government, federal government, with Canadian counterparts. So Canada is in on on this uh, agenda. Now, whether that will actually lead to a permanent suspension of of constitutional government or temporary suspension is, is, is yet another matter. And it may, as you suggest, it may be uh, temporary suspension and then you go to the elections with a view then to consolidating uh, more of a, of a democratic dictatorship, a constitutional democracy under the disguise of military rule. I mean, and that's something that the US is very familiar with and they have, they've been applying it all over the world. So why wouldn't they do it at home? The militarization of civilian institutions is already commenced. Patriot Act is that. The repeal of the Posse Comitatus Act, which is being lobbied by the, by the Pentagon, which would essentially allow the Pentagon to take over civilian functions of police and judiciary. In other words, there would be no more LAPD, okay? And there would be no NYPD. Hollywood would have to adjust its assumptions as well. We wouldn't have civilian cops. We'd have the guys with you know, with Green Berets, okay? But that is happening already. Now, the second, I think the second uh, possibility is that there may be terror alerts and so on, and eventually we'll go to the elections. Whether the powers behind this government are pushing George W., I think, remains to be seen, because I think Kerry would probably be a good bet as well. I listened to him on CNN this morning, or yesterday, and he said... We're going to do the war on terrorism even better than the Bush administration, right? (laughs) I mean, he's not. And this is a guy who knows. I mean, he investigated Iran-Contra in the Kerry report. I mean, I could quote him. You know, he he looked at drug laundering and so on and so forth. It's not that he doesn't know. He knows that the war on terrorism is, is phony. He knows it more than we do. But he's going to toe the line because ultimately... Civilian government is a puppet here. It, it's, it's the intelligence and military people with their backers in the Council on Foreign Relations and, and the think tanks. And, of course, Lockheed Martin calls the shots on U.S. foreign policy. Let's not forget that. So that, I think that, that's the kind of scenarios I see. And then there's the issue of e-democracy, where the, where the Republicans may try to gain the victory without, by manipulating the vote counting
0: What astounds me is how other governments or other people could support the big lie or the myth um, that other governments aren't challenging them. And I think India was under tremendous pressure when they did come up with the evidence linking the head of Pakistani intelligence to uh, the Bush administration. I think their parliament was terrorized, and they were on the brink of nuclear war with um, Pakistan, and then they just sort of shut up about it. And I, and I wonder what's happening now with Europe.
3: When the Union Parliament was bombed back in 2001, the groups um, which uh, claimed responsibility for these attacks were proxies of Pakistan's inter-services intelligence, okay? And that's not me was saying it, it's the Council on Foreign Relations. Go to their homepage, okay? So there are three organizations in uh, Kashmir, separatist groups. They claimed responsibility for these bombings and if you go if you go to the web page of the Council of Foreign Relations they will say Pakistan inter-services intelligence in other words General Mahmood controls these groups or supports these groups now then you could if you connect the dots you say well how come Colin Powell supports the general and the general supports these groups it's clear that that bomb attack is connected to the intelligence uh, network Pakistan and the United States so, Secondly, Bali, when there was the Bali bombing, Jemia Islami is said to be supported by Indonesian intelligence. Now, everybody knows Indonesian intelligence is supported by, the, by US intelligence, going back to the reign of Suharto and the military government. So, again, we have to beg these questions without necessarily coming up with wild speculations, but they show that there is a cover up. Now, with regard to Europe, Europe is now embarked on a process under the European Constitution, which is militarization. They want to do a copy and paste of the program of the new American century. They are building their military. They are putting money into the military. They're asking the new members of the European Union to join in this. And the central agenda is the military alliance between France and Germany, the Franco-German alliance. And it is very much emulating the same doctrine as the Bush administration, because ultimately Europe is also part of Bush's war of conquest. Eventually what they want to do is to destabilize Europe and undermine this countervailing power. There is a debate, but you're right, the media in in Europe, the media in the Middle East are pushing the war on terrorism dogma, and that's because the media groups in Europe and the media groups in the States you know, they, they work together, buddy-buddy. And the problem is that the Europeans don't have an alternative project for their respective societies. In other words, it's global capitalism. There is no European project which is distinct. It's militarization. So that is my answer very briefly uh, on that question. And it certainly points to some very important issues on the relationship between uh, the anglo-american- australian- canadian axis on the one hand which is a military axis and the franco-german axis which is the core of the european military-industrial complex
1: i'm wondering to what extent al-qaeda might evolve or grow into its own independent monster and no longer be
3: under the control of the United States and, and really become a true threat to the United States. That's the first part of what I want you to address. And the second question is, I, I want you to, to entertain for us what must be going through the mind of Osama bin Laden. Does he know his role for US intelligence? I mean, what's going through his head? Does he know his role? First of all, I, I think that we must distinguish between Al-Qaeda and a number of Islamic resistance movements. Okay? They're not the same thing. Al-Qaeda is, an, is a very elusive network, I- invisible. We, we can't uh, say the same thing of Hamas, let's say, or Islamic Jihad, in, particularly in Palestine but uh, certainly this whole islamic brigade construct has the purpose of destroying resistance from secular organizations within the middle east you can see it uh, you can see it in uh, palestine you can see it well you can see it in iraq as well up to point you can see it in chechnya so that in effect there's also an infiltration into these organizations. Hamas was supported by Israeli intelligence. We know that, okay? But I, I, don't, think, I don't think we should confuse the two things. There's a, there's a genuine resistance which may go through Islamic or, or, or church organizations in the Middle East, which is not necessarily tied to the Wahhabi sects in Saudi Arabia, but which constitutes a bona fide resistance to to uh, occupation in the in the West Bank or in Gaza Strip or in Iraq, okay? I don't see that that al-Qaeda... Al-Qaeda can't start working against the U.S. because al-Qaeda is the U.S., okay? Al-Qaeda is, is an organization controlled by U.S. intelligence. Whether the actors in the field know about this is another matter. And that's the whole nature of an intelligence asset, okay? I mean, there are lots of intelligence assets. There may be intelligence assets in this room, okay? I would expect that there would be. And they don't necessarily know that they're being manipulated and, into doing certain things. Uh, now, Osama bin Laden, I, I, I don't even know. He's a mythical figure. He's a member of the bin Laden family. The bin Laden family is linked to the Bush family. They go way back. I don't think that this is necessarily the answer because you'll notice that the U.S. fabricates figureheads. The, the most recent one is, is uh, al Zarqawi. His name is cropping up every day in the news. He's responsible and he's in several places at the time. He's in Madrid, he's in Iraq, he's in, you know, he's all over the place. It's fabricated. There's something
2: happening here. Yeah. yeah,
3: yeah. What it is ain't exactly clear.
0: There's been listening to Michelle Chosodowski, 9-11, The Broad Picture, from Phase 2 of the International Citizens' Inquiry into 9-11, held in Toronto. Michelle Chosodovsky is Professor of Economics and International Development at the University of Ottawa. He is Director of the Center for Research on Globalization and co-editor of Global Outlook magazine. Michelle Chosodovsky is author of the Globalization of Poverty and the New World Order, and War and Globalization, The Truth Behind September 11th. Visit his website at www.globalresearch.ca. That's globalresearch.ca. Guns and Butter is edited and produced by Yara Mako and me, Bonnie Faulkner. To leave comments or order copies of the show, call 510 848 6767 extension 628. Email us at faulkner at gunsandbutter.net or visit our website at www.gunsandbutter.net
2: Hey yo, these are some serious times that we live in G, And our new world order is about to begin. You know what I'm saying? Now the question is, are you ready for the real revolution which is the evolution of the mind? If you seek, then you shall find that we all come from the divine You dig what I'm saying? Now if you take heed to the words of wisdom That are written on the walls of life Then universally we will stand And divided we will fall Because love conquers all You understand what I'm saying? This is a call to all you sleeping souls Wake up and take control of your own cypher And be on the lookout for the spirit sniper Trying to steal your life You know what I'm saying? yourself for peace, give thanks, live life and release. You dig me? You got me?